This is a pretty good one. It turned out the last one turned out pretty good. Did did you get my answer back on that? Probably no, not. I didn't. I guess it was, I, I was nothing happened, so I thought, well, well I see. It, I it says give me. I said shit. I said answer back, and it uh, says give me your phone number. So huh. I gave it my phone number, and I, I guess it still didn't work. Huh. I said something like, "Oh, I believe." Yeah. <laughs> a, a real lineup if I ever saw one. <laughs> a bunch of troublemakers. Yeah, you can put that in your gallery now. That's probably the first picture we've had, all four of us, in quite a while. Mm -hmm. But I thought it turned out pretty good. I got Jake Krutner standing in front of the championship banner or mm -hmm. something like that. Like a TV or something. Maybe it was. Abigail asked me what kind of timer you put it on. What? Oh, the Samsung. It's a, it's a, I think it's no, Samsung specific. What? Five seconds, I think. Yeah, I told her. She said, there's longer one. Yeah, you can do it as long as you want. But I didn't want to sit there for a I said, minute. because Jay was running back to him. She said, well, you can make it longer. Yeah, uh, they gave me. That's the first time I've ever done the timer. All right, so we are. Did we finish page one on this? Yeah. Part two of the gospel that doesn't save. After the bottom of the page. An examination of general revelation. So, yeah, we went through Romans 1. And that's really the most thorough. Well, we're not quite done with Romans 1. Um, yeah, I don't think we did Romans 125, which it doesn't, this won't take long. But, of course, we're talking about general revelation, revelation that's given to everyone, who's ever, whoever comes to a, a condition where they can be self aware. And, um, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a, that must have been a long time ago. That must have been at the ball game. 2014, I think. Or no, yeah. no, that's actually 2012. Yeah. 2012. I figured it was. That's back when we were doing the games. All right, well, Romans one twenty five further indicates we went through Romans one nineteen through 23. It's on part one. And then Romans one twenty five says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We're talking about everybody here. Okay, and we, the reason we know it's everybody, which I don't know if we went through this last time. I don't know if I, um, yeah, I didn't put Romans 1, 18. We did Romans 1, 19. But the reason we know it's everybody, some people try to make an argument that Romans chapter 1, especially this part that we're dealing with, is about a certain group of people. Or even nationally, when a nation goes astray, a lot of people will try and apply it that way. But Romans 1.18 that opens up this section that we're doing says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so you see this is, this is God's wrath against all ungodliness. And of course we know that all are ungodly. So this is not a specific group of people who are exceptionally wicked that this chain goes through. This is talking about everybody. And again, we're t and then we talked about 19 through 23. We're talking about where he has made himself evident to everybody through the creation and the conscience. All right, so we worked through that last time. But also, real quick, and since I read that in 118, where it says the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. That word suppress is an important word, so... We're not talking about people who are, and we're talking about everybody. We were there too, so I'm not condescending on anybody, but anybody 
who's become self-aware, they love the sin they're born in, and they begin to suppress the truth of God. This general revelation is suppressed. And that I've heard it explained this way. That's really good. Is that it's it's like you get in a swim pool and you got a big beach ball in the middle and you're trying to push it underwater, and it keeps popping back up. You know, you just that's what suppression is. You're just actively fighting against this general revelation. So it's not like it's just a one-time deal and you're like, yeah, you know, and you move on. It is a constant. God is revealing Himself in a general way to people, and they're fighting it. They're willfully suppressing the truth. So you you understand what it's like a lifestyle. And it's work to suppress this truth. The love for sin causes causes this work to suppress the truth of God because they know they love their sin. They know that the, the true God will not tolerate their sin. And so, and which will kind of work into what we're doing here in a little bit. So by the time somebody gets to the white throne judgment at the end of time, even if they've never heard one word of the gospel or one word of the Bible, they will have actively suppressed you know, the life, lifelong of truth. I mean, a lifetime of general revelation. And so there's no innocent victims. Now again, I'm not, I'm saying, not saying babies or mentally handicapped people who can't even be aware of their own existence. They can't do, they can't, they can't suppress the truth of God because they don't understand the truth of God because they're, obviously a baby can't understand, look around and recognize there's a creation and that there's a creator. But once you get to that age where you can, you immediately begin to suppress that truth. And so anybody who, who uh, all people who get to the white throne judgment will have, you know, because you get this idea even in amongst Christianity that people, you know, people, it's not fair that people don't get the gospel. And it's a mercy to get the gospel. And we want to get the gospel to people. So obviously we, that's kind of what we're doing. This section here is to, we're going to pull it back into the evangelism one we did a couple weeks ago. So that's what we want to do. But there are no innocent victims. There are, no matter if they've heard the gospel or not, because they actively suppress the truth of general revelation their whole life. And by the time they get to the White Throne, they'll be without excuse. That's why it says in what we read last week, they're without excuse. All right. And anytime you all have any questions, you can feel free to stop me. But now we just move along to Romans one twenty-five. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so I underline that word exchange there again as we went through last week. That if you can exchange something, that means you possess it. So in order to exchange something, you have to possess it. In this case, again, the knowledge of God. And you see at the end there, they worship. This is what all idolatry is. You can, you can sum up idolatry in this sentence here. You worship the creature or something created rather than the creator. That's what idolatry is. And it can be people, it can be animals, it can be things, inanimate things, it can be plants. I mean, anything that God's created. That if you prioritize that in your heart over the creator and you serve that, that means you're working more towards somebody or some other goal other than God, that's idolatry. And it can be anything in the world. I remember when I first started to understand this, I remember this really, this verse really stuck in my mind. Like, okay, yeah, I mean, it, it's in a lot of times, you know, of course, the verses we read last week specifically spoke to wooden things that people would make and bow down to, you know. And they, you don't see much of that anymore. There's still some in false religions. And I would say in the Roman Catholic Mass, when they do the, 
they put that, you know, I got the box where supposedly Christ is. They all bow down before that. Well, that's a created thing. And so you have these things going on still in false religions. But you could, but it doesn't, it's not limited to that. Like when I obsess about getting my yards done, I'm, my mind is not on the Lord. I'm serving that. And a lot of, I mean, I don't even know what it is, to be honest, but it's just not trusting the Lord and those things. But you see how my mind is consumed with that. You know, so in a sense, I'm worshiping that. My mind is, I don't, I'm not even considering God. And so, or anything else, you know, it could be materialism, it can be addiction, it could be other people, it could be family, it could be a pastor, or it could, I mean, you just name it. You become more enthralled with somebody or something else other than Christ and the true and living God, it's idolatry. And that's what that is. It's, it's, it's worshiping and serving the creature, the creation that God has created rather than the God who created it. All right. Do you control that very well? Well, he controls it for me. <laughs> Seth was saying, oh, he has a hard time with that. I do. That's true. I don't know why. It's like, so a, there's... Try to explain to him, you can't change it. No, I know. And he's changing it for me. And it's been a, it's been a tough couple weeks. Yeah, but it's been good a couple weeks because it does. He turns the spigot on and lets me know how little control I have. Mm -hmm. And, um... Fretting about it is not going to change it. No, and, I, and it's weird because I trust him in so many other different ways. Genuinely from my heart. Money and a lot of other things I genuinely think. I but then for, for some reason, and it's not even making the money of the grass. It's just getting them done for some reason. Because I do mow a lot of grass. And that's why I go to him a lot. I'm like, Lord, I mow a lot He's of grass. Testing. He's testing you. And I, and I think... Should I mow less grass? And I, sometimes I think that, but most of the time I think, no, this is what you want me to do. And so once I get there, then I just have to trust him to get it done. But no, I, I it's what I struggle with. But this has been a good week for it. But it's a day, it's a yard by yard battle. It really is. I mean, I can go from really genu genuinely being at peace, you know, thinking about him, listening to a sermon, and you know. Praying to him, praising him, singing all these things, and genuinely trusting him that okay, but then just one little thing happens, and it, and, it's, and there's the test: is it real? You know, if it's real, then it'll hold. If it's not real, then it won't hold. And so he shows me a lot of times. So have something go wrong, and you, and that's what he does with all of us. He, he, he your idols, he'll make it known to you. You know, and and it's and it, and what you got to realize is is. And just because I get, you know, when I do get that under control, something else can pop up. I've heard it said, I think it was John Calvin or Spurgeon, one of those two, or the, the heart, human heart, even the, even the Christian heart yeah. is an idol factory. And it has to be constantly monitored, That's right. constantly. I agree, totally. And if you don't, it will produce one. It'll produce 10. And what's, what also with the, you know, with just, like I said, I, I'm like, Lord, you know, I know I'm struggling with this, but you know, I'm trying to serve in all these other ways. But what I found, you know, once you get one perpetual idol that you're serving, it doesn't stop there. It goes to something else. Because, you know, he'll, you just have a hard time, uh, you know, you just agitate it all the time and everything else. And so you, you, it's hard to go to him 
and then you end up going to other things, you know, to come, you know, and before you know it, you just got a whole list of routines that you're doing just to get through, just to get through the day because you're trying to just survive the misery of your slavery. Slavery is what idolatry is. So yeah, that is my that is my number one. It's so it's so dumb, and that's what makes it so. I know it. They're all really idolatry is insane. It really, if you just grasp it. But I'm a mature Christian. I'm a spiritual. I mean, I would, you know, by God's grace, I've been through it enough to know better. And, you know, I, I teach and I really do consider myself by his grace. I'm not bragging. I'm saying by his grace. I have, I understand these things because I've lived through some real dark times as a Christian of idolatry. And so I should know better. And I still get so aggravated because it's just like, it just doesn't take that that fast and you're shooting down that road. I just try and catch myself in those first couple steps. I do, but it's still, I mean, you, well, you could, you could get 10 seconds or 15 seconds into it and, and you just, that's what sin does is it corrupts your mind it corrupts your thinking. And so what you're thinking a minute ago is all of a sudden a minute later, you're like, well, you know, and that's just how it works. That's how it's sin is deceiving and it's appealing. That's what makes it hard is because it is appealing to the flesh. And so you always have that draw. And so that's why the Bible says that as soon as you think you stand, well, guess what? You're in trouble. I mean, my, my, I like to, uh, I'm a controller, but um, mine is worry. About? You know, just anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, like. I want to make sure they're safe, and I want to make sure you know this and yeah. that. Yeah. And then I have to stop and say, "Not hey, in I'm not in control." Control, <laughs> not me. Yeah. No, that I went. I went through seasons where I was worried about family and whatnot, and um, and I still do periodically. But I do. I think with that, I trust. You know, that's what's so insane yeah. about the grass is like I genuinely think, you know, whatever our health is or everything else is. I put it in his hands, and it's because you're human. I know, and I battle it, and I and I do. I try to do the right thing, but it's a lot of it's about control and self reliance, and you, and that's an appealing thing. It's an appealing thing. It's a hard thing to trust the Lord. It's hard. It's it stupid. It's stupid not to. It's right. insane, but it's not an easy thing to do because the you know the whole problem, the root of most sin is autonomy. You want to do what you want to do, and you got different reasons for it. It could be. Yeah, you know, it could be you want to be a little bit worldly, or sometimes I guess you know, been through seasons where I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, if I just kind of serve you spiritually my way by my power, then when I get done, I can kind of do what I want to do. <laughs> but if you, that's just, a, I mean, it may work. He may let you do that for a little while, but then you'll you'll crash and burn, and he'll make. Yeah. If you didn't have something like that. You wouldn't be human. No, I know, but we don't want to say, well, it's human, so we just don't buy it. We just oh, accept no. it. No. Because we fight it. You fight it. There's right. a no, difference between, I mean. yeah, because it's. It, you didn't have anything like that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. And it's. Beer. No, I, and I understand, you know, as soon as. As soon as it starts, yep, yeah, that's yeah. what I try to do. Okay, well. So it's an, it's an ongoing battle. All right, so as in the text before, we see the truth of God being exchanged. All right, Romans one thirty-two. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
And so again, we're doing just kind of continued along the chain there that although everybody knows the ordinance of God, it's talking about everybody again, not talking about anybody who's ever read one scripture, that they know the ordinance of God. The, the law of God is written on everybody's hearts. And that's what we talk about with the conscience and things. Everybody, that you don't have to know what the Bible says in order to know that hurting somebody or even insulting somebody, or you know, you just kind of have a general sense of right and wrong. You know, it's wrong to cheat on your wife. You don't have to go to the Bible and read the commandments to know that. And so everybody has that general knowledge. And um, and so they so they not and here's another ratcheting it up a little bit. And what happens is that not only do they, they know, um, so you, everybody knows that they're breaking the laws of God in a general sense. And they, the, here's what's important too here is it says that those who practice such things are worthy of death. So that, there's another clear biblical text that shows that anybody, even if they've never seen a scripture, know that sin is worthy of death, damnation. They know that judgment's coming for it. It's just a matter, it's built in. God has it built into the people, to human beings who are made in the image of God through the conscience. And so there's nobody out there who doesn't know that they're going to be under the judgment of God. Or, and they already are. They know certainly that doing these things are worthy of death. Because that's what the scripture teaches. And so, but, but here's the reaction. They don't care. They know judgment's coming for their sin. This is, I'm not saying them as in condescending I'm saying we all have been there but unbelievers know they know what they're doing is wrong and they know that they're going to receive judgment for it where's Hunter? yeah that's a good point Heidi Heidi Hunter Hunter he's probably behind the chair he's not dead he must hear a couple raindrops coming Is he hiding? He didn't get out, did he? No. No, he's hiding somewhere. He wouldn't have gone outside. Are you kidding me? He's hiding. I was just scrolling. Scrolling? Scrolling. So back to one th Romans one thirty two, where it further explains that every although everybody knows the law of God written on their heart, not specifically, but generally. And they know that, ju that judgment is coming for it. But, but here's the response. They not only keep doing it, but they also drag other people into it with them. But, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so you encourage others to join you in your sin. That's the response. And I remember doing that. And we all, you know, the misery loves company kind of thing. Or, where if you're doing something you know you're doing wrong, and you know, it's, you can just know that it's bad and judgment's coming for it, one way or the other, but don't you just love it when you see somebody else doing the same thing, yeah. <laughs> and you encourage it, yeah. because it makes you feel better in your sin. It deceives you even it. further. It too. That's right. So yes, I mean, I just you see the level of of resistance and suppression to God's general revelation. And again, we're talking about every single human being on the planet. 
whether they have ever heard anything scripturally or even heard the word the name Jesus Christ. So this verse has more this verse has more detail in showing that although all people know through the conscience that sinful activity is worthy of death, physical and eternal, their love for it compels them not only to continue in it but to entice other people to join them. You see that nobody will be surprised or filing an appeal. Romans 3.19 says that every mouth will be shut at the judgment seat of God. There's going to be nobody arguing at the white throne judgment. There's going to be nobody going, I don't deserve this. They're going to be mad because it says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they, they're still going to hate God. Anybody who goes to hell, they hate God throughout all of eternity. So that doesn't change. But they're not going to be arguing it because they'll have no argument. Once God strips away all the deception and self-justification for all the sin that we can do, and I remember for many times doing things that I could justify. You can justify anything in your mind. I mean, you can justify anything in your mind. I mean, the whole, just the argument of uh, the greater good can cause you to do just about anything. You know, and, uh, but, at, but when it comes then, he's going to strip away all that. And you're going to be left absolutely bare with no excuses. You know, you'll have no argument. And I think, personally, I think I've said this before, that I think that's what God does when he grants repentance. Is he strips away everything that you, the, the way you've deceived yourself into all your sin, and he shows you your sin, and you, you're appalled by it. That's, I think that's what he does when he grants repentance. Um, that's what he did for me. I remember where I was, and, you know, I, I had believed for... Oh, it was about eight or nine months, and I was a believer, and I was saved. I believed that Jesus Christ was God, and he was raised from the dead with all my heart, and I was, you know, even doing a little bit of, I didn't know much, hardly at all, because he was dealing with me. He was dealing with my sins that were I, were my main idols, smoking, drinking, things like that, that were, that were my number one idols. And, but finally, when he took away the, the one that I really hold on to, and, but it was kind of the night before, and I, I was downstairs, and he just flooded my life of sin. Up until that point, even though I was a believer, I didn't get my, my sinfulness. I hadn't got that yet. But he showed it to me. All these things in my mind that I justified all throughout all my life, he just flushed it all away, and he ran it all through my mind, and I almost threw up. I, almost, I just hit the floor. I was appalled by myself. It was just a flood. And the next day is kind of when I really surrendered to him. But with Stephanie and other people, it's, it's more of an extended period of time where he kind of just shows you, you know, and so it's not specifically, I think he does it differently with each people. But there you have that moment. Repentance is that moment where you realize your sin and you're in trouble. And uh, so I think, but I think at the judgment seat, he's going to do that. But the bad thing news there is that there will be no reprieve then. You know, that's why I say you can bow to Christ now in humble repentance now, or you will one day, and, but there won't be, there will be no salvation then. It'll be just judgment then. And every, every knee will bow to him one day. Everybody in the world who's ever lived will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is God. They'll know that because they're all going to bow to him. But at that point, it's too late. But... But even in a, in a sense, what we're dealing with now is you, they, we already know now. People already know now. Now, you can suppress the truth long enough where you can get a seared conscience, where you just become, you, you know, in sociopaths, they put different names on it. But anytime you sin repeatedly, whatever sin it is, 
it hardens you, it deceives you, it corrupts you, and to the point you actually get self-deceived then. Where you go from knowing to then down the road, you're just like, you really believe in your heart that homosexuality is not a sin anymore. And so, and where at the beginning you knew we started doing that, or anything, I'm not picking on them, adultery, anything, stealing, you can justify a little bit, ah, oh, you're just a piece of gum, and then, you know, and then before you know it, you're in Nashville, and <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It starts small, but it corrupts you. It corrupts your mind, it corrupts your thinking. But people all start with a fresh slate of this general revelation. All right. All right, so now, but that's not the deal. Romans 1 is, the, to me, the just the real strong testimony of general revelation, but it's elsewhere, too, which I can, as I, this is kind of why I wrote this paper, is that there was more than I thought, which we won't be done today. But there's, here's some other places. But again, I think Romans 1 is the main place you go to for general, it's an explanation of general revelation. As long as you take it right, again, I, I've, I've run into so many people who say, you know, who say that Romans 1 is about a specific group of people. And I don't, I don't see anything there. Again, I mean, anybody who, nobody is born a Christian. And actually, I wrote a, I wrote a paper, now I think about it, on, on who is Romans 1 about, and maybe we'll go through that soon. Because you can demonstrate that the sins that are are given to people who, are, who have been converted, who are saying, you used to be this, you used to do this, you used to live like this, all of us used to live like this. They match up with the same sins in Romans 1. We all were doing these things. And so you, you know that, in a sense, you experience this. Now, again, for some people who are, say, very young, it's not near as, as long. But every, nobody is born saved. And nobody is, nobody doesn't live lost. Or nobody doesn't live lost for some point in time in their life. Because in order to be saved, you have to confess your sin. So you have, in order to confess your sin, you have to have willful sin. And so, anyway, I was going to chase infant baptism there, but I resisted because that's what I always go to. I'm like, you realize that you're baptizing these babies. They're lost. I mean, they're not lost yet, but they will. They have to get lost before they get saved by saving faith. You know, if they die before they reach accountability, different issue. And so I always say, you know, you, if, you, if you say you're welcoming somebody, and that's what they'll actually make them a church member, a baby who's been baptized. And you would say, welcome to the family of God, and something like that. When you baptize them, I always say, they're not, a, they're not in the family of God yet, because they, they haven't, anyway. I go back and forth with my Presbyterian friends on that, and, and the Reformed ones. And anyway, I'm not chasing that. I've done that enough. But um, my point here is that everybody is born in sin. Everybody, if they come to that condition, which most 99.99% of people come to that condition where they are self-aware, they immediately, be, they, due to the love of that sin, begin to suppress the truth of this general revelation we're talking about. Fighting it. Not just, they're not innocent victims. They immediately become rebellious. And, and this is why it says in, in Romans 1, you're without excuse. And then, so anybody who gets saved you have to confess your sin, fullness. And so then that's why I think that Romans 1 is pretty clearly about every single person who ever lives. All right, but you, we can go back to the Old Testament now and Psalms, Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. 
So the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. This is further verification of God's general revelation in creation given to all people. So this kind of deals with the one of the two in Romans 1 was the first one was creation. It says that the universe communicates the glory of God to all who experience it. No gospel necessary to know this. And so the heavens, that's the universe, the sky and the universe and the planets and all that. It's not talking about heaven where God is. They tell of the glory of God. You can look up and say, wow, that's incredible. And there's no way that just happened. I mean, it's just, there's, there's no excusable way. You have to deceive yourself to look up and say, yeah, there's... There's planets up there and stars up there and they're just in the moons there and the sun's there. It's just holding itself into place and this is just all random explosion and came from a pile of mud or whatever. That's inexcusable. That's why anybody who believes in evolution is inexcusable and that will not hold at the judgment seat. They'll not be able to go, well, you know, I, I just thought that we all come from slime or anything else. Because again, it shows you right here that the Bible is clear that anybody who comes to this comes to this condition can look up in the heavens and they know that God created it. I bruised my lip from drinking Powerade. <laughs> that is exceptionally. That's you should deserve a trophy for that. Yeah. I, I just kept sucking like so much I broke the blood That's hilarious. Yeah that's a first. Yeah, Even that might be a first. Here look at my lips. <laughs> so you don't need a Bible to look up in the sky. And again, what happens? We they suppress that truth, and it says there, you know, underlying the you know, or telling of the glory of God. So it's revealing the true God. Um, you know, I'll say this real quick. I was thinking about this earlier. When you have general revelation, you you can have somebody says, "Oh, I believe in God," you know, and then but they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Say, "Well, I believe in God," and so they'll kind of say, "Well, I you know, kind of gone along with general revelation because I believe in God." No, we're talking about believing in the true God not in a God you fashion in your own mind. That's what we talked about in Romans 1, 23, where that's just exchanging. That's, that's doing what we're talking about. You're, exchange, you're, making, you're forming your own God. If you, don't, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have the true God. That's the reality of it. And somebody, some people, you know, I just chase a small little rabbit here. Some people say that, you know, Jews and the Christians, we worship the same God because we're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's some truth on the surface of that. But as is further revealed, Jesus Christ clearly says that if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And so the Jews reject the Son, so whatever God they're worshiping is not the true God. Even though the Old Testament, obviously, is what they would claim is the one true God. But they fashioned in their own mind their own God because they reject the Son, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about um, somebody who claims to believe in God, but it's not the true God. They're, do they're suppressing the truth. They're, supp they're doing the same thing we're talking about. They're just, they're not, they're not saying I'm an atheist. They're just, they're exchanging the, the truth of the true God for a false god, whatever that is, whatever false god that is, the god of of Islam, Allah, is a false god. He doesn't exist. He's demonically inspired. He may be a demon, 
who's posing as a god, but I, my guess is just 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 a figment of imagination. But it's demonically inspired, or the god of any false religion is just not the true god. And there's in the Bible says so there's there's an idol's nothing. And there's no there's no. I'm not scared of Allah one ounce because he's not real. He doesn't exist. He's like I said, he's demonically inspired, or he's a demon. It could be just Lucifer himself receiving that. But and so we have no fear of of false gods or so-called gods because they don't exist. They're not real. There's only one true God. But the point here I'm trying to make is that the suppression is against the true God. The one true God. That's who is suppressed. Why? Because he's holy. And we're not. The, sin, the love of our sin. And then you know he won't tolerate it. And so we flee from him. Again, I'm not condescending on anybody. I'm saying I did the same thing. You did the same thing. We all do the same thing. Unless God reaches down and regenerates us. Grants us saving faith. Reconciles us to himself. And the only reason that happens to anybody is because of God. I'm not ever, I, sometimes I come across as sounding condescension, condescending, I'm not. But the reality, the truth is the truth, though. And there are people still out there who are in this, and hopefully they'll hear this and they'll recognize that. All right, now here's another good couple verses that really are good with explaining general revelation, I think. Uh, verse 15, this is Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. And saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you and that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In generations gone by, he permitted all nations to go their own way and yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with fruit, food, and gladness. Uh, one of the common graces of God given to all, this is everybody, not just believers, is his kindness towards them, even in their rebellion. Here we see it as a, referred to as a witness, and that's why I underline that part in verse 17. Um, I think uh, I've just copy-pasted this. I think this is Peter preaching. It might be Paul. I should maybe look that up, but it's. Um, but the point here is, is that in verse seventeen, he did not leave himself without a witness. So you see, there's a testimony, and what is that testimony? Is that he his kindness, his kindness of giving people rains and fruitful seasons and satisfying their hearts with food, food and gladness. Again, you you hear that and you're like, well, yeah, of course you're going to give you know everybody rain and and food and everything else. You created them, right? But again, the point here is that they hate him. These people who are receiving his kind gifts, like rain and food and seeing a sunset and having families. I mean, just how many blessings that you know people you see who hate Jesus Christ, but they're rich and they have all kinds of blessings. Um, and yet, and so they're the point. They're in. Again, I'm always making this point here with general revelation is that this is not just some like, yeah, there's there's a God there. This is there's a God there, and I hate him. And I hate him. I'm fighting against him. I'm suppressing any truth about him. And I want to I want to do my own thing. I want to have my own God. I want to be my own God. And so these people are hating God. And a lot of people don't understand that. That if you're a, if you're an unbeliever, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, 
you hate the true God. You may not say that, but you hate the true God. You're in rebellion against him. Um, but you see here that, that also at the end there, that, 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 that kindness that he does and the rains and all that, all the common graces he gives all people, is a, that's a testimony that you don't have to ever have the scripture. It is a witness to him, but also this kindness in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, this kindness is meant to lead them to repentance. So even though you're hating God and, and rebelling against God, suppressing the truth, he's still being kind to you. And this is where one of those, those applications where we as Christians, as we've talked about, even you know, when we were in was it in Sunday school? We're talking about unforgiveness, where we are to be, we are to treat our enemies, the people we just we we struggle with the most. <laughs> yeah, you were there for that, but that's well, we all need it. Because God in his mercy was kind to us when we hated him. And he, of course, he died for us even while we were sinners, and so on and on. God, God treats uh, his enemies with kindness and patience and long suffering. And so that's what we're obviously to, to do as well. But his, but his kindness is intended to lead him to repentance. And so these common graces are temporal. They're, they won't last. If, if people refuse to repent, then they will one day have no more kindness. They will have no more. It will just be all judgment. But in the meantime, again, you see another testimony that's, that goes to everybody without even Scripture. All right. Romans chapter... We'll do this one and then we'll be done because it's 10, 6.25. Romans chapter 10, verses 16 through 18. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end ends of the world. All right, you might wonder why I include these scriptures in the discussion of general revelation. It seems they are referring instead to the proclamation of the gospel, verse 17. Of course, most people know verses Romans 10, 17, because it's a very good verse to know that people can't be saved without hearing the gospel. And it says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so nobody can be saved without hearing the gospel. So we're saying, okay, well, why are we dealing with that? In the, in, and I just this is something I picked up on recently is um, it seems they're referring to Proclamation Gospel, verse 17. I did this because it's interesting in the response of verse 18, confirming they have heard some sense of a testimony of God, and a citation is given of Psalm 19.4, which continues the discussion of general revelation given in the first two verses. This is what we went through just a minute ago, Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. So he quotes, the quotation here is the, the all caps there, their voice has gone out into all the earth. Is a quotation of Psalm. Let's see if I can pull that up here. Nineteen, verse four. So you see, this is a continuation of the discussion of general revelation. In, in, in um, I'll just read real quick the first four verses. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. That's what we read up there. Day to day pours forth speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. That's what we went through. And then verse 3, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Okay, verse 4, Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. So that's what we just quoted there. Verse 4, That is a continuation of an explanation of general revelation. 
so you see here um, the the compliment so it's saying we'll have a you know, faith comes from by hearing by hearing by the gospel but it says there that the reaction is they've never heard have they and it says indeed they have and then it, go, it quotes a verse about general revelation in Psalm 19.4. So I think you can infer here that although the gospel needs to be heard and believed to be saved, condemnation is incurred by the rejection of general revelation that indeed they have all heard. So I just that's something that most people don't know, I, and I didn't notice until I was just trying to figure out where this quotation came from. But that quotation in all caps there says, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world is talking about the heavens demonstrate the you know looking up in the sky demonstrating the glory of God and so I think you can see clearly there that's another example of general revelation all right we'll end that part two there and then next week yeah we should we'll definitely be able to finish that next week and so we'll have the third part of this and then we'll do one that that was kind of the purpose of all this anyway is to tie this into evangelism, which I think you can probably already tell where we where we go. That we you know when you're talking to somebody that they have been before you even give them the gospel, they know God exists. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They know that He's a moral God. They know He's a powerful God, and so you can use that as a as a foundation for your evangelism, which we'll get to in specific details. I actually have a lesson. We'll be play acting, right? Eventually, yes, I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs>